Damo, do you want the first and only certified organic bone broth in Australia? Do you want a broth with no hidden thickeners, yeast extract, salt or flavour enhancers? MP, I want a broth made by hand from start to finish with nothing but love and positive vibes. Well, that's why you're left with only one broth, Damo, and that is Broth of Life. Ho, ho, ho. Choose from dehydrated bone broth in chicken, beef and lamb. You'll also find FODMAP-friendly stock. That's FODMAP-friendly stock, veggie stock and chicken salt, all available at brotheoflife.com.au. And a special for Wellness Couch listeners. Enter the code WELLNESSCOUCH2016 at the checkout before November 30 for 10% off your order. So awesome. The code again is WELLNESSCOUCH2016, only at brotheoflife.com.au. wellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives you're listening to a quirky journey the healthy family podcast with your hosts joe witten and fuad kasab hello and welcome to a quirky journey i'm here with my co-host fuad kasab hi fuad hi jojo and we're on our own today yeah but that's okay oh, because peaceful <laughs> It's kind of better without other people sometimes. <laughs> we can just talk about whatever we like. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, we, we love our, our people who come do. over. We do. But we um, have been so flat out with getting the photo shoot done for the book and finishing off things to like all the editing and getting it all to the designers. And so we we didn't really organize a podcast. And I thought, well, you know what? Fuad, we haven't really shared your story properly on a quirky journey, I don't think in not in detail and um it's it's a really interesting story and so I thought it'd be good if we just had a chat together and you explain where you're coming from and and how you began on this whole journey Um, especially because I've been getting a lot of questions from people about fats and carbs and there's a lot of confusion I think about you know are fats good to have in your diet and how much should you have and all of that kind of thing and you really had um a big change in your thinking with that early on. So I'd love for you yeah. to just talk about that today and we can go through some of those questions that we often get. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is um, it's funny because when we've started this podcast and we were doing this kind of stuff together, um, you assume that somehow your story is uh, known or something. But We kind of like, talk about we, bits yeah. of it, don't we? Yeah, and, and we assume yeah. a lot of knowledge for, for the listeners. And sometimes it's just really good to rehash this stuff and establish some, um, yeah, some basic grounds so that people mm. understand where we're coming from. And sometimes we'll say things that uh, people will go, this doesn't sound like what I know. It's against conventional wisdom and um, mm. we talk about these things from an experiential perspective the things that have worked for us so we've never really talked about it from perspective as if we're sort of some kind of uh, biologists or doctors no. or anything like that but um, the framework that we've formed in terms of the way that we eat um, is based on experience but once you actually live it that way you can see how much of a common sense approach it yeah. really is yeah. And um, so, um, look, before we start, a, a quick uh, note to our listeners. Next week on Thursday, so this is the 24th of November, we're having two cooking classes down at the Sydney Seafood School in uh, Piermont. Uh, we've got an 11 o'clock and a 6.30 p.m. Uh, class. The 11 o'clock one is uh, just a cooking demo and a talk. We'll be talking about all the things we talk about on the podcast. 
and uh, we'll be demoing uh, recipes from our new cookbook, Life Changing Food. And you get that, to take the yeah. um, recipes home with you. Lots of uh, nice uh, dishes that you'll have. There's around six dishes mm-hmm. um, to try. And then there's um, the evening class, which is a hands-on cooking class. Uh, so that one is a, a longer version where you get to actually go into the uh, area where you get your own benches and uh, thermal mixes and things like that. And you uh, work away and uh, cook the dishes that we've demoed to you uh, at the front. And it's it's a lot of fun. And then we with... all sit down and eat dinner together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, just such a privilege for us to be able to meet the people who yeah, listen to us. Although I must admit, you and I don't really eat much because we're too busy talking to everybody, aren't we? <laughs> Oh, yeah, especially like during the day, you'll get all the like none of the time is spent on eating, it's no. spent, and then we, we have to sort of clean up the place and uh, tidy up <laughs> afterwards. And we're just starving and uh, we just stuff so ourselves afterwards with all the leftovers. Yeah, leave us, <laughs> don't take everything home, <laughs> leave uh, us some chocolate. That said, I've sort of gone down my diet uh, back this week. Um, I'm doing um, uh, gaps. I'm not doing the intro stages. I'm doing the full gaps, and uh, it's been really, really good. I can talk about that a little bit later as well. Full gaps with lots of broth. Full gaps, lots of broth, ferments, things like that. Um, I I haven't been, I don't feel sick or anything like that, but I feel like I need to recalibrate my body. Mm. And um, I find that eating um, a full gaps diet is just really good for me. So we can talk a little bit. This is is what I think we need to talk about because, yeah, we've had a few, um, like I was saying to you earlier, I've had some feedback from, uh, health prote- practitioner, I'll just say, okay. who that, that didn't really agree with what we were doing. And I know I get people sort of questioning um, the way we eat and saying, well, you shouldn't do that for long term. So this is what I want to talk about. You know, how long should you be eating like this? And, and you know, how does this even help your body to eat this way? Yeah. And, and this is also for me as well. Like I've, I have a friend of mine on Facebook who um, like is always sort of attacking paleo and mm. calling it just like a, a crazy diet. And uh, <laughs> just yesterday, like there was, you know, some commentary, like some she was sharing a blog post saying like, uh, food, like calories don't just magically appear and disappear in your body just because of hormones. Uh, like a calorie is a calorie. And she's like, and saying how stupid people who think that there's a hormonal effect to weight gain and weight loss. Oh, wow. I just sort of had to, like, I actually decided to unfollow her on Facebook. Yeah. Like, I every time I see this stuff, I go, like, really, yeah. like, like, it sort of creates this kind of uh, tension in me, me which too. is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, I don't need to get defensive about this stuff. Like, um, there's there's no need for that because mm-hmm. I've actually experienced the direct benefit of changing the macronutrients in my ratio. Uh, yeah, the ratio exactly. of macronutrients in my diet, sorry, and seeing the direct impact of that. So I had I, the same thing happen. I had to unfollow someone on Facebook because she attacked every time. And you, you noticed it too because I tagged you. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. It's, yeah, it's and it's just, not sort of closing myself off from the world. Like I no. know what things, um, but um, more and more, like people are coming on board with our message mm, more yeah. and more because it's really working and it it's working long term. That's the that's the difference between the diets that we eat, yeah, and uh, any kind of intervention style diet, and and I think you know, that's what that, we should. That, uh, 
we should really, you know, focus on in this podcast is the long-term nature of the way that we eat because, um, you know, people say, well, you can't do what you're doing long-term. Okay, no, not exactly. Things are always changing. And that's why I think it would be great to hear your story because yeah. it's really evolved over the years, the way that you eat. So go for it. Tell us. All right. <laughs> cool. So it's a, it's a bit of a long story because it really is it, sort of traced back before I was born. And mm. uh, so, you know, you have 36 years plus of uh, information to go through. So I'll try to make it brief. I won't take you day by day. Okay. So, <laughs> no. uh, and maybe not day by day. <laughs> <laughs> as, as most of the listeners might know, um, I'm uh, of Lebanese heritage. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say, as most of the listeners know, I talk a lot. Sorry. Well, imagine like you have a podcast and you just don't talk. You're like, hello, <laughs> hi, how are you? Yeah. All right, I, you I, have my permission to talk, talk a lot. Yeah. Go. Thanks. All right. <laughs> so, um, I was born in Lebanon, um, and it was the peak of the civil war. Civil war, really. 1980. Um, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Uh, of course, you know, bombs falling everywhere. Your house is. Uh, being overtaken by um, foreign armies and militias and um, everywhere you go you had to stop through army checkpoints and militia checkpoints and it was just horrendous. Um, people were being slaughtered um, based on their religion. So each op- opposing religion, if they found someone from the other religion, they would sort of kill them. Yeah. And the Lebanese identity, actually, the identity card had religion on it, which didn't oh, help. Scary. Um, so the world I was born into was a world of massive stress for my family and my mom, in particular, who was um, pregnant with me. And um, during that time, the war was coming closer and closer to our villages, which we eventually had to leave in 1985 and move north, so that we're in uh, like safe in a safe haven. So we were um, refugees within our own country. Mm-hmm. But uh, during those early years, the stress coupled with the foreign aid that the country was receiving in the form of white sugar, white flour, um, vegetable oils like canola, soybean, corn oil, that kind of stuff, the really cheap stuff that uh, all these uh, countries were sending into Lebanon to keep the people fed. Um, we know now that these things are really at um, the cornerstone of uh, chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I was born into this world of stress. And I ate that diet, even though my heritage was of uh, Mediterranean Middle Eastern, which really is the best of both worlds. You get all the beautiful, luxurious spices of the Middle East, coupled with the fresh herbs and fresh produce of the Mediterranean. Um, one of the world's truly great cuisines, Lebanese food. And I did experience that to a large extent, but the staples that we had in in our home were shelf-stable products that were really bad for us, like, for instance, powdered milk, uh, spam, ultra-pasteurized cheese. This is the kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that we grew up in. And, um, you know, we'd stop for hours and on the bread lines to get the, like, you know, two loaves of bread that we can get for the family. Um, that was um, an occurrence that happened for a few years as well. So, you know, white bread was also a staple. Um, but my mom was an excellent cook, so, so whenever like there was fresh produce, 
she would cook amazing, amazing food. So there, you can see there's a bit of a contrast between, mm. um, you know, having a really solid heritage in cuisine and also having to make do with what you've got. And um, one of them inspired me to become a chef later on in my life. And the other bit is actually what inspired me to talk about health later on in my life because I came... Mm from a journey of being unhealthy completely. I was an obese child, um, and uh, I had poor health. By the age of 13, I started getting uh, getting chronic ear infections, and then, um, you know, the doctors would be giving me antibiotics. Uh, they were like, I'd get syringes of antibiotics for six months, wow. uh, trying to get over this um, ear infections and things like that. Um, the the standard treatment was the like antibiotics because they really didn't want you to go into a hospital. Uh, those kinds of places um, could have been prime targets for bombings and things like that. So people were trying to treat themselves at home as much as possible, um, close to their bunkers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so this was the the world I grew up in, and it's not unique to me. Le- the Lebanese all shared this kind of experience, um, and we do still have a, a lot of people suffering from ill health due to these issues now. Um, as I turned 17 at school, I uh, started getting chronic, well, it became chronic, but I started getting acne that started um, in my head, and then it spread throughout my whole body, and I got um, covered with eczema and acne, and the doctors were giving me steroid creams and more oral antibiotics, mm. and that kept going for years and years. Even after I moved to Australia, the doctors were prescribing me the same thing, trying to help me uh, manage the symptoms, and um my diet um, was uh, a, a lot of fresh produce, but also I was eating uh, a lot of things like bread and using veggie oils and sugar and drinking soft drinks and things like that um, because I thought, you know, like everything in moderation and if I uh, had a, you know, a, a pretty clean diet, I can have the, the odd exception of food like, you know, having a Coca-Cola here and there or a Hungry Jack's and McDonald's mm-hmm. meal. Um, but um, within a few years of coming to Australia, uh, I was living in a part um, in Penrith, which is uh, out west. I was going to university there, and um, you know I was eating things like burgers with a lot and uh, sausage rolls and uh, things like that from the local takeaway. But I really missed my food from home, and uh, I started cooking my mom's dishes, and um, that set set me off on this journey of actually really learning how to cook for myself and enjoying my own heritage of cooking and cuisine. And uh, um, before I did software engineering, which is the way that I made a living over the past 15 years, I actually was doing a degree in English literature. So I had this real love for um, language and um, writing and self-expression. And in 2006, I started a blog called thefoodblog.com.au, which was my um, little... Um, avenue to talk about my upbringing, my story, my the, all these little funny things that happened in my life, and I wanted to sort of um, portray uh, these little stories and uh, from my upbringing, just to contrast what the world usually thinks about uh, when they think about Lebanon, which you know a lot of it is true. Like as I've I've been explaining, like Lebanon did go through a very very rough time, um, but um, it wasn't. There's was um, so much more to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so it's um, 
it was such a int- interesting uh, time to to live in, and there's a lot of uh, humor actually. You know, like a lot of people coming together. Um, Lebanese people are, are quite funny actually, and uh, they so, are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, so I started my blog in 2006. It was the first uh, ever Lebanese f- uh, food blog. I think it was the first ever Middle Eastern food blog. I haven't found any that started before mine did. Um, and it was sharing all those stories and talking about the food. I was talking about um, the food from the lens of culture itself. So um, it became a successful blog. And during those years, it was attracting a large number of followers. And including me. Expect that, including Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's how we uh, yeah, and it sort of plunged me into this world of food because it was just fun to be able to share these messages with you know with people who were actually listening and uh, mm. found it to be interesting and, uh, and it, it, was, it really resonated with uh, with everyone that read so it. beautifully written too. I think that was a big and the lovely photos. So it was very interesting. You should really do some more on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I was talking to Snay, our photographer, yesterday. She goes, just get back into this. You should, you should. So um, uh, hopefully uh, after the 6th of December when the book is Have a bit also, more time. So that was um, the first step I took towards really doing anything with food. Um, but then the Sydney Morning Herald asked me to join them as a reviewer and a good food guide. Because uh, the writing was so good, see? Yeah, that was was good. Uh, like I don't want to sing my own praises, but um, I, I think also they were looking for um, voices of people who um, typically didn't have a voice in in that medium. Mm. Uh, so the review team never had a Lebanese person on it before. Yeah. So you know the first, um, not that I know, um, and. Um, that was really cool for me because uh, I started really, really expanding my view of cuisine and learning a lot about uh, multi- the multicultural Australia through the cuisine. Mm. And it opened me up um, to the food and to a way of living that I hadn't known before. And um, it created a different relationship between me and food. And the more and more I learned, the more things like uh, local produce and eating from uh, farmers markets and getting to know your local uh, fruit and veg man rather than going to the supermarket and things like that. The importance of these things started becoming more and more obvious to me. And uh, it really uh, sort of changed my approach to to the way that I eat. And um, the uh, as this continued, my health was still getting worse, which was a big problem for me. Um, I always struggled with weight as a person, and uh, those years were not an exception. Uh, my peak weight was 128 kilos, and um, that was um, a, a huge uh, weight to carry around. I was feeling very, very unwell and uh, unfit. And uh, I've yo-yo dieted all my life trying to sort of keep this weight down, but never truly succeeded in keeping it at a healthy weight. Uh, I always did a severe calorie restriction, which uh, resulted in short-term results, but then the weight would come back. Mm. And um, also, my acne and eczema continued to get worse and worse without any signs of actually improving. There was nothing that was just like, there was no time where it was just fine. Mm. And all the specialists and the doctors that I saw were telling me, you know, this is your genetic clock. And there's nothing really that you can do about it except to continue to medicate to manage your symptoms. It's not really something that you can do. Um, so um, 
I continued to medicate. I was using a lot of uh, creams and washes and antibiotics when things really flared up, and uh, it, it affected me in uh, a huge way. Like you, like you don't even understand like how bad it, it would get if I wasn't medicated. Like my whole body would be covered with eczema and acne. Wow. And I'm talking about serious acne, like really, really big folliculitis and um, just really inf infected and inflamed. And um, I still, you know, have remnants of that now, even after going um, through what I've gone through, I still uh, get bouts of skin flares, up, flare ups and things like that when I'm not eating super clean. Mm. And I'll explain what super clean is. Um, but, uh, I've, you know, I was Great never told so actually... Much. Yeah, well, I have, but I was never told that eating a certain way is going to change things around. Mm. Um, so I went, I saw a few naturopaths who were advising me to sort of eat less meat and um, cut out gluten and things like that. But I wasn't convinced at the time I was going gluten. Like, you know, we've been eating this for so long and uh, <laughs> it's part of my uh, Mid Middle Eastern heritage. Like mm. we're the, some of the first bread eaters. On I the can't planet. survive without flatbread. <laughs> well, yeah, for, for one thing, you know, like and I was going, you know, this is like it's at the base of the food pyramid, you know, like seven to eight mm. to nine portions of whole grains. And that was sort of my thinking uh, at, at the time. And, um, you know, everyone experiences a paradigm shift in their life, and I've experienced many, but mine was in 2011, really the big one that sort of changed everything for me, was in 2011, I was working as an IT manager in one of the big banks, and uh, I was, uh, at the time, I think 122 kilos or something like that, and my weight was um, still bothering me a lot. I had my first daughter, Sarah, was born. She was a year old, and I was really struggling to keep up with her, and it, it put a lot of anxiety into me like that. I will continue to get worse and worse over the years and not really be able to have a, a good quality of life around her mm. and to be the father that I wanted to be. And um, I also wasn't feeling fulfilled in my work. I felt that um, uh, office life just wasn't the right thing for me. I couldn't do these uh, hours of, you know, the commute and uh, being in an office. It just uh, And also working for a company that I just didn't feel that it fit with my uh, view of the world. Mm. I'm, I'm all about human interaction and uh, be, you know building a, a better future and a better tomorrow for everyone and not you know everyone for their their, their own stuff. Yeah. yeah, I just I like collaborative uh, businesses who try to improve the conditions mm. of. Um, and um, so I decided you know I'll take I'll take a career break and focus on my health and at least even though my skin was still a huge issue for me. I thought maybe the doctors are right, like maybe I can't really do anything about my skin, even though I've always sort of thought that there should be something I could do about it. Um, but maybe they're right and I'm wrong, you know. I, I kind of tend, have the tendency to think sometimes that I'm always right about stuff. But um, So I thought, hey, you know, maybe I'm not right about this thing, uh, but at least I can calorie restrict or something like that to lose some weight and uh, at least give, get myself a few years of uh, being um, less heavy, to be around my daughter and um, I quit my job and I think what was happening at the time for me is um, it coincided with like a, a global paradigm shift where the world had started talking about 
uh, eating clean uh, in, in the way that we view it now, and also uh, eating less refined carbohydrates and sugars. And the sugar was finally being recognized as being a, a problem for a lot of us. And I read an article in the New York Times from Gary Tobes, and he talked about um, a doctor called Dr. Lustig, who um, who had a video on YouTube. It's had millions of views, and uh, Gary Tobes was saying. Um, Lustig's argument was that uh, insulin, which is the hormone that the pancreas produces in response to eating carbohydrates, is uh, at the heart of weight partitioning. If you have high insulin, then your body is told to put on weight or to store fat. And if you have low insulin, then uh, your fat cells are allowed to release fat into the bloodstream if there is a requirement for that. Mm-hmm. So it all works on that axis of insulin. That was the argument. And we still don't know actually if that's 100% the complete picture or not, but we know that there, there is uh, truth around that. We know that this is actually, um, it's always more complex than we think. Yeah. <laughs> But um, there's definitely, now we know that, hey, um, hormones are very, very much at the heart of weight gain and weight loss. Um, and they do it in many ways. Some ways is the controlling satiety. The other ways are, um, you know, definitely uh, affecting at a cellular level the, the fat partitioning that happens. So um, from, from that, I looked at the article and I was like, all right, that just sounds like a really odd argument, you know, like this is, uh, you know. It's very new to you. Yeah, it's just like that doesn't make sense because what I've been told all my life was something different. And um, at the bottom of it, it said this article is written by um, science writer Gary Tobes, who's the author of Good Calories, Bad Calories, and Why We Get Fat and What We Can Do About It. And I thought, we know why we get fat and what we can do about it. Like we eat too much, we don't exercise. That's why we get fat. And what we can do about it is we just stop eating. Cut down the calories. Yes, yeah, yeah. Just eat, eat, starve yourself, and go running without fuel so that your body can use it, its own fat. You know, and that was sort of the the thinking. And go to the gym constantly. Go to the gym and um, you know create a really bad. Uh, relationship with food because a a lot of what happens with those things is over the years you develop um, a a problem with yourself like Mm. what happens is you 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 actually think that the reason why you're overweight is a problem of self-control yes like you you exhibit self-control and you calorie restrict and you lose weight and that happens you know of Mm. course anyone who calorie restricts is going to lose weight for sure um, but then what happens is we go back to our old habits and our our body just goes back to homeostasis, which is like, you know, what it was used to being at. And sometimes it goes back with more. Quite often it does. And then you start blaming yourself for yeah. being, uh, you know, having poor willpower and not being able to stick with things long term. Yeah. So the next time you go, this time I'm going to have more willpower. And then you do that again. And then, um, you know, maybe you go for a few months longer. But then eventually, like, you just want to live a happy life and be able to celebrate with friends and eat and, you know, be merry. Things like that. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you're eating these foods and you let yourself go. And then all of a sudden, you get on the scales and you put the weight back. Mm. And um, then you go, oh, like. I'm such a loser. Yeah. Beat yourself up. (laughs) 100%. And and this is... um, such a such a bad cycle to be in. This is the the cycle of yo-yo dieting. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not just 
going on a diet and off a diet it's very psychological yeah um so and and it creates a, a lot of a poor relationship with the perceived self you think mm. that you who you are is um doesn't have willpower and that your problems are all your fault and um you know better but you can't do better yeah so that means that you're a failure and um, that's that's problematic, you know, because that's actually not the way things are. And when I read the article, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just um, like, I'll keep an open mind. I went and bought Gary Tobes' book, Why We Get Fat and What We Can Do About It. And um, and then I read it in one day. I was like, wow. wow. Yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't put, put it down because it's just it was just amazing to just me what he was saying. Questions. Yeah, and I was like, is this could could it possibly be true that uh, it is what we eat and not how much we eat that actually uh, causes us to put on weight? His argument was carbohydrates do it. That if we eat a lot of carbohydrates, especially the refined ones, and if we have insulin resistance, then we will put on weight, and um, this will be a a problem for us. But we won't be able to break that cycle unless we go on a low carb diet, low, a, car, a carb restriction. Mm. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this for a few weeks and just see what happens. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I'll put on a bit of weight. I, I can regulate it, you know. Like, I can, like, I'll just try this out for two weeks and see what happens. Because I've tried the other way and then, you know, um, it didn't, didn't work. work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, he, what he was saying is that these types of diets are uh, way more sustainable in the long term. You're eating uh, just a tidy. You never feel like you're starving yourself. Yeah. You're eating like delicious food. Uh, you can have as much uh, fat, of good quality fat as you want. You can have things like salt as well, which was demonized in a separate yeah. Yeah, instance and things. So I was like, all right, well, let's give it a shot. So I, I told my wife, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try this crazy diet out for, <laughs> for a bit and you know, tell the children I love them, and um, <laughs> yeah, I might die or something. I thought, like, I thought honestly, like, you know, if I ate what he was saying, that I'll, I'll definitely get heart disease uh, oh. because the amount of cholesterol that I was gonna eat. But I was like, you know, I'm I'm 30 years old. I'm not gonna die tomorrow. So um, I I went embarked on this mission, and uh, she said, if you're gonna do it, I'll do it with you, which was amazing because she didn't have to, to lose weight at all. She didn't have to do anything. She she was slim and uh, beautiful, and <laughs> I was uh, going. Well, you don't need to know. She goes like, I'll just try. Like you know, she read the book too. She's like, it makes sense. Like I, I just want to see if I feel better as well. And we went on this diet, and and then within um, just a few days, really, like the the weight started coming off. And I was at that point, like I'm waking up and I'm eating things like um, you know four or five eggs with cream, fried and. <laughs> bacon on the side and avocado and some greens sauteed with olive oil and then i'll have you know a big steak with butter for lunch with some like a salad like a a low carb salad or and i'll have the same for dinner i was having nuts and seeds and i was having um coconut oil and all these uh, beautiful uh foods that i thought were just gonna make me put on weight and i was having them and i felt good on them like i felt um, things like um, acid reflux went away, mm. um, which I thought was just, you know, like um, a, a problem that I had with my digestion. Yeah. Um, it's not food related, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just my fault mm -hmm. uh, again, you know. Yeah. Uh, th then I, uh, I used to feel like tired and bloated after meals. That went away. Mm. I thought like, I thought it was normal to feel like, 
like sick after eating <laughs> you know yep. uh, and, and sometimes uh, you don't realize you're feeling that until you're not well yeah like how how else would you know you know mm-hmm. like they say a fish sometimes doesn't know it's in the water because yeah, that's, that's all it. it's so and uh, this is uh, this is how i uh, i was just getting all these little surprises you know mm-hmm. um the 3 p.m or actually like the 2 p.m crash just wasn't happening i used to go out for lunch day and then um, have like a, a carb heavy lunch and then by 2 p.m i'm just sh- i just needed to take a nap mm. and, like i needed like a serious nap wow. now like i still nap now because i really like it i, th- I think naps positive <laughs> and, and good but that nap that i used to do then was like absolutely necessary like my brain would sh- shut down and i yeah. just couldn't um so that went away um and weight started coming off just very very quickly like uh, i'm eating all this food as i i told you, you know thousands and thousands of calories a day mm. and i wake up the next day and the scales are pointing down i'm going this this is not like i'm just doesn't make What's sense happening? this is a practical joke <laughs> someone someone messing with my scales <laughs> you would love to imagine you know like imagine how <laughs> this thing's happening and then within um I started, um, you know, going through what uh, is termed the low-carb flu, which is a couple of days of feeling really bad. And and during that time, what happens is your body goes through carbohydrate withdrawals. Um, the the body that's been used for a lifetime to burn carbs as uh, or sugar as a form of energy, um, it it has been deprived of sugar. So it just doesn't uh, know what to do then. And then it starts going, all right, well, let's start burning fat now that we, you know, uh, will upregulate the mechanism for burning fat. And it does that. And then after it does that successfully, um, you have a higher efficiency of burning fat. So after those two days of feeling groggy and down went away, I woke up one day and I was just feeling like, like I'd never felt in my life before. Everything was just uh, so clear and uh, everything just had, like there was a calmness to my beingness. You know, I just felt calm. I didn't have like uh, this sort of grogginess that I had in the morning when I woke up. I felt mental clarity unlike any I'd ever felt before in my life. It's like a fog had been lifted, you know, and that's how I, I tell mm. people. And more been, energy? Yeah, and... and um, and energy just seemed almost boundless. Yeah. Like I, I seemed to want to move. Like when I was used to diet, I used to force myself to move. I used to say, all right, you have to go exercise and things like that. But during this period of time, what happened was I switched to burning fat. And man, I had a lot of fat to burn, you know. So my body was so happy to just like use up all that energy. So mm. um, I, I just started being able to do more and move more. And I did that naturally. Mm. And you know, this this kind of uh, feeling just uh, stayed with me. And um, it, it changed a lot, really. Like it changed a lot about me uh, physiologically because like I started being able to move better and eat better and all that kind of stuff. But I also uh, was challenged in my belief systems so profoundly that uh, it, it caused uh, a lot of things to change in my life in the way that I view the world. And that's a separate topic, mm-hmm. but uh, it changed me fundamentally, this experience, because I thought, you know, wow, I was so wrong about this. I was so mm-hmm. wrong. And I was just so... Um, um, completely thinking that um, I was right and the world was wrong and how like how blind of me to, to think that and how I was uh, stopping myself from actually 
really realizing this better health just through my own um, prejudices. Mm. And, you know, like, because you go cognitive dissonance like these these people have been telling you i you know you see someone who's lost a lot of weight over the years and you say what have you done and he goes i just did a low carb i did an atkins diet and then you know you talk to them and um then you go i don't know what that guy did like he he's just probably been eating one steak a day and calling it a low carb diet (laughs) you know what i mean yeah um but so we we always tend to sort of defend internally our uh, perspectives because yeah. we're creatures of habit and we don't like change and um, we think that we know because yeah. like science you know, says or so and so you know told me yeah, not even science like we always expect that our view is right like mm. this because if we if we knew it wasn't right then we change it but yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> well so, I just but, I'm just coming back to um, mentioning that lady on Facebook who sort of Every time I mentioned the way that I ate, she'd have to disagree with it. Um, yeah. You, When you hear someone's doing something so different than what you've been taught, you just think, well, that's a one-off. It doesn't yeah. happen usually and it probably won't last. That's what she always said, you know. It's like, wait a minute, how come these one-offs are happening to so many people and lasting? <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this is uh, this is just typical human behavior mm-hmm. and it's not a particular closed-mindedness this doesn't come from just that one person being yeah. like this is a process that we all go through and i'm sure i still hold views like that in my yeah, life exactly, about yeah. things that aren't right i still believe things that aren't true still yeah, it takes course. time to work through all that yeah, but yeah that's right so learn as you know, know, like i've learned now to sort of stop and listen and mm-hmm. try to not let my prejudice shape my worldview, yeah. but to be open to what people think and think and say. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's helped me a lot in my life, just in the way that I treat people. Mm. Uh, because it, you know, if you meet people with prejudice, you've already shaped them. Yeah. You haven't limited their self-expression in the way that you behave with them. And you know, it's a profound uh, movement in in your way of thinking and. It really opens up the world to you that way because you mm. sort of meet people where they truly are rather than uh, overlaying them with your yes. uh, prejudices. Yes. Yeah, and and, um, and that's fine, you know. Um, it's a, like you know, we all we all go through these uh, big learning things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you know, everyone now who used to sort of uh, be upset that Trump was going, running for president, like I'm getting your friends. <laughs> putting up on Facebook saying, oh, we should listen more to what the other side is saying and yeah. try to them. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going, yeah, you know, like, um, good. like I'm not, just for the record, I'm, I'm not a Trump supporter or, yeah, I don't, it's not, it's not even in my, uh, well, not very I, I don't look at political uh, politics. Here. I don't, no. it's not, yeah, it doesn't interest me. But it's just interesting to see how, like, you know, people are going, you know, like, yeah, like, Maybe if we would have listened to both sides, maybe, things would yeah, have been Yeah, maybe different. we could sort of uh, <laughs> had a conversation. And exactly. We're trying to have a conversation now, which is great, you know. Um, so anyway, this is not a political uh, subject <laughs> uh, uh, podcast, but I'm just trying to illustrate the point that, you know, quite often we experience these things in, in our life where uh, they open us up a little bit more and uh, we're more ready to have a dialogue, which is fantastic. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's a good place to be and um, the more open-minded you are in your life, but with the discernment, the better yeah. uh, you know, you'll go through life because 
uh, you're not being guarded against it. You're not trying to say my view is the right view and everything that is opposite to that is yeah. wrong. You sort of uh, allow a, a flux of information. It's a good place to be. So anyway, uh, back to the health aspects is I experienced the, the mental improvement, the mental clarity like I've never had before, boundless energy, and weight was dropping off. And by the end of the year, I'd lost something like, I don't know, um, 24 kilos or something like that. Mm. And I didn't count calories except just so I could brag about how many I, how much I ate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was like, ate, dude, I ate four thousand <laughs> calories today. You know, like and I lost <laughs> three kilos. Yeah, I lost weight, and, and um, you know, I fancy that people. losing twenty four in one year. Did you have people that hadn't seen you for a long time, just about faint when they saw you, or what? Yeah, like it, it was such a, a remarkable change for it's gigantic. Uh, because also, uh, quite often when people lose a lot of weight, they look unwell. Yeah, um, but you like didn't. They, deprive themselves from I've um, seen that I, yeah they feel they look drawn yeah and and I didn't and yeah. also my skin cleared up mm. which was crazy actually I I stopped getting acne yeah I stopped getting eczema I mean like we I'm talking eczema was 90% better acne was 100% better mm. and I just couldn't believe what was going on I just couldn't believe that this actually fixed all these problems just from the way that I ate. Yeah. And what I discovered when I was looking at that kind of way of eating is because I had sort of removed all the carbohydrates from my diet and because I was um, eating in a way that was in line with my attitudes of local food and uh, su supporting your farmers and things like that and not eating um, highly refined supermarket foods. Mm -hmm. uh, what I later discovered was the way that I was eating was naturally a low-carb paleo diet. Mm. And when I discovered that paleo is actually what I was doing, it opened up that whole world of um, literature for me, like mm. looking at all these people who are talking about the paleo diet and its benefits and the things that paleo can offer for health. And, and then I really got stuck into the paleo diet and um, learned a lot about um, what it means to eat paleo and what it doesn't mean to eat paleo. And also... Um, things like uh, understanding uh, natural movement or mm -hmm. looking at sleeping habits and uh, day and night cycles and um, all these things that are actually related to the way that um, living close to nature makes us healthy, mm -hmm. how we can sort of add those to our life and uh, find health from um, going back to a way that our biology expects us to be living and um, changed my life. So, you know, this has been since 2011. It's five and a half now, almost six years. Uh, the weight's still off. Um, my skin's still better. My hay fever is gone. My mental clarity is still uh, high. Statistically, uh, I'm an anomaly because people who lose <laughs> weight usually put it back yeah. on with, within a year. Wow. Um, it's been, you know, close to six now. And, uh, yeah, so a huge success story as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Definitely. Yeah. So that, that's the part of the story that's relevant to the, the health. I won't get into the restaurants and the things that I did around that. That's, that's sort of maybe for a, a different talk. Mm. But uh, just as a summary, I started the Whole Food Gluten-Free Restaurants to uh, bring this message to the world. And um, they did really well and um, made me learn more and more about uh, 
the need to bring this kind of way of eating to a larger audience. And this is why I love working with you, Joe, because of mm-hmm. uh, the book that we're writing, the podcast that we have, and working with you on Quirky Cooking and the Gut Health Program. program is, yeah. yeah, it's been amazing um, to be able to reach people and talk to them um, directly in those great numbers that you've managed to, um, you know, uh, have in your community. Like you've created such an amazing, <laughs> amazingly large and close-knit community that um, is just wonderful to see and it's a privilege for me to be able to talk to them so well it's a a privilege for us to have you it's just so good to have um you know like the way that you can understand the science behind everything and explain it so well is is such a benefit for all of us um because I sort of come at things from a I call it the mummy cook viewpoint. (laughs) I'm very practical. I'm very much about, you know, how to do this kind of cooking on a budget with kids, with limited time. Um, And sometimes I'm not so good at explaining the whys and wherefores behind things, but you're great at that. So I love working with you. Yeah, I think, I think, um, like I've gone to extremes, you know, I don't, not everyone needs to know what I know. No, to be able maybe to not, but it's, it's handy to have someone yeah. to ask when yeah. when you do want to know this stuff. <laughs> but this is like you. That's why you're so so good because um, you sort of show people that they don't have to actually get into the science all that much to be able to have tangible benefits. And yeah. um, it's, this it's is so common uh, sense. It's so yeah. You know, it's just the practical. You know, like I often say to people, if you look back a few generations, this is pretty much how you your family ate you know, a few generations ago with my mum said even when she was growing up they had all the fermented foods because she's from German-Hungarian descent. Yeah. Um, so they had all the fermented foods and it wasn't until she they moved to Australia and it just wasn't really done here. So yeah. they didn't do it. And she always made broths from leftover, like from carcasses and from leftover roasts and stuff. She always made the broths, but that was more, she didn't realise the health benefits of it. It was just yeah. something that was passed down to her. Well, and it's also and frugal, a money saver. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you make, make soup from the soup. last meal, kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, learning all of that stuff, um, sort of as, from a, I guess from a homemaker, old-fashioned, save money sort of perspective, um, it it was just um, traditional wisdom that was always passed down. Um, yes. We didn't really, I guess, you know, my parents and grandparents didn't so much know why it was good for you to eat this way. It was just what you did. Yeah, um, it's accumulated uh, wisdom over the years. Yeah. So each generation understood the food that they were eating better and better. Mm. And they knew how to better, like, you know, in corn, they, uh, corn in Mexico, they treat corn mm-hmm. with lime to be yeah. able to, to eat it. Now, th- this is not you know, like just normal cookery. Like you don't just put lime with, say, an avocado, you know, like, yeah, yeah. well, it's delicious. That's the a wrong, bad example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> other lime. Yeah, the other <laughs> lime. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this is, this is something that they've had to understand how to deal with certain foods. Mm. Um, and they, you know, the, the reason may have been lost over the years. Like someone yes. actually figured it out and said, you know, when we eat it that way, we experience less gastric distress and we can yes. sort of eat more of it over a long period of time without feeling sick. So, it, you know, let's do it that way from now on. And then over generations, the knowledge is lost, but the the approach stays there. And, and I think uh, like our the last couple of generations sort of lost their way a little bit because they didn't know the why behind 
what they were doing. So they thought, well, it's not important. So we'll do it the easy way and get a factory to make it all. That's right. Um, so so, so now industry, we're learning the why. It's well, so important uh, to yeah. share that. In, I, industry really sort of like would take that bread. Like Joe, hmm. um, give us the, uh, a rundown of how sourdough should be made. Um, well, the old older ways of making breads would take a few days, really, because you would you would make the dough and leave it to sour, and you'd have the starter and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not really an expert on sourdough. But, okay, but, but you're pretty, pretty much spot on. So you get a starter culture, yeah. which is like a bit of flour and water, and you leave it out for a few, few days and it starts getting sour, and you feed it more flour and water every mm-hmm. day. And then uh, the, the bacteria count just goes up, mm-hmm. and the yeast count goes up, and these are the things and that the are... And gluten needed. is um, reduced there. Yeah, they say it's denatured through mm-hmm. that process. And then you add it to, to your loaf and you leave that to ferment for 24 hours yeah. because we don't have these like super strong bacteria or yeast that can raise bread within an hour. Mm-hmm. But what the industry did is it isolated yeast uh, and then they added it in large quantities to highly, highly refined uh, flour, which mm-hmm. makes it rise really fast. Within an hour, you've got it. Yeah. And you can go from just pure fl- uh, wheat into... Yeah a loaf of bread within an hour these mm-hmm. days and um that's not the same as the not old the process and so when people say yes but you know for generations we've eaten bread we've eaten grains so why is it suddenly a problem well we're not eating the same grains that we used to it's, they're quite different than what they used to be and they're covered in pesticides and we're not preparing the breads properly like they yeah. used to prepare them so it's a totally different food it, it is it's sort of like saying you know like um people if they're drinking polluted water mm. and you go to them, you know, like this water is not good for you. You should go back to sort of the uh, water from over there, let's say, you know, yeah. that's one. I say like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you know, we've been drinking water for our yeah. entire history. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, this is like what you, the water you're drinking is. There's yeah. something wrong with that water. You know, yeah. like, it's not really it's... the same water that you're used to. Yeah, you're thinking so, of the wrong water. Well, yeah. I know when I first started, when I first became a Thermix consultant, I was so excited because I could make bread in an hour. And I remember telling everyone how wonderful it was. And, and I was grinding my own grain. It was organic wheat. Um, yeah. I was making my own bread. But we were eating so much bread. And because I was, you know, um, a young mum with little tiny kids, four under seven, and I was exhausted. I was just like living on bread, basically, because it was easy. And um, I got so sick. And I yeah, thought, how can... And when the naturopath started telling me, no, you're eating all this gluten, it's not good for you. I'm like, yeah, but it's organic and I make it myself. And I had no idea that um, that bread could make you sick if it wasn't, you know, the traditional kind of bread. Yeah, so we've gotten into these t- talks over, you know, the podcasts that we've had specifically mm. why things like bread and gluten are bad for you. Um, but, like, maybe we should talk a little bit about, like, what – you want to talk about fats. To start yeah, with. I would love fats for you to food. talk about, um, you know, the whole idea that fats are no good to have in your diet or it needs to be a lower-fat diet. It really – depends on where you're at with your health and what you're trying to work on as to how much fats and what you're having but if you could just give us a bit of an overview about what you did and how it's changed over the years and why that would be good 
So, so bear in mind, I'm not giving you this uh, perspective as a, as a, you know, a doctor or no. anything like that. I'm just taking this uh, approach. I'm showing you what I've done, how my thinking has evolved and continues to evolve in, in this topic. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I was eating a low carbohydrate diet, uh, which is still my main approach to eating, I needed to eat more fat because. Usually, people eat similar amount of proteins, whether they're on, on high-fat high or low-fat diets. Mm. It doesn't matter. The protein usually stays similar. You don't eat like your body regulates how much protein you need to eat. Your brain will tell you to eat less or more protein depending on what it needs. It's very good at regulating protein. It doesn't have that kind of overeating protein uh, problem that's not a problem for us as people Uh, our problems usually are um, you know with the carbs and the fats and how much we should eat with those and especially when you put the two together Mm. carbs and fats yeah you get a big food reward um you know uh, in in your whole body just goes wow this is awesome you know like (laughs) let's let's have more of this feeling yeah, it's, uh, and oh, you know, it's nice uh, every once in a while, but it's not good for you long term to have that every day as a big combination. But um, so let's let's go back. We'll talk about um, the what good fats versus bad fats are. So some people say these are good fats, these are bad fats, and the the idea there is to to know that um, fats that come from uh, the natural environment that haven't been um, manufactured through industrial processes, um, they're better for you. And I'll give you an example of what an industrial process looks like. So they'll take something like like corn or, say, uh, rice bran oil, and uh, they'll use uh, something called hexane to uh, extract this um, the fat. Like they actually chemically create the fat out of um, the, the bran. Hmm. And then they use high pressure, high heat to be able to uh, separate that oil and commercialize it and sell it to us really cheap. And the reason why it's cheap is because usually the brand's discarded or used as animal feed, but now they can give it to us in the form of oil that was actually never in it. Like the oil was never yeah. in uh, the, the brand. Like they had to chemically create this oil. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, whereas you get something like, let's say, uh, an olive, and you crush, you know, a hundred olives, and um, you put some water on top of that, and then you leave them to settle, and then you get oil floating yep. right on top. And that oil was already there. the The fruit had created the oil naturally, mm-hmm. and if we ate that, then it's good for us, especially if it's, it was uh, crushed in a cool manner so it was, it was an extra virgin olive oil that hasn't been heated during the extraction process mm. and uh, so things like heat during uh, extraction plays a big part in the and how good the, the fat is uh, oxidization which is how much oxygen the fat has been exposed to during manufacturing and storing uh, and that sort of um, you know oxidization is what you know when something oxidizes, it rusts, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not the typical kind of rust when it comes to fat, but the 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 nature, the yeah. way that uh, molecules are at a chemical level, they're not the same. And then when we have them, um, we get rusty ourselves. So we get mm-hmm. things like reactive oxygen species, they call them, or ROS. Um, and that's why 
we like to have antioxidants in our diet so that these things can scavenge around and take all these oxygenated um, uh, molecules from our body and help us um, live long and healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is one aspect of what, like, what good fats are and what bad fats are. Um, another aspect, of course, is the source. Like you, you get corn oil that's made from genetically modified corn. You don't really want to be eating that because as much as people will tell you genetically modified food is safe it just hasn't had a long enough history of use in our uh, biology to determine how safe it is it's not mm. food that we've actually grown up with um, over the you know, generations and our bodies aren't expecting it to be mm. at least in those large quantities never mind the glyphosate that's been sprayed on the crops um, as pesticide that still makes it in trace quantities into the food and that disrupts our gut flora so um, that that's a big issue there too um, but over those early uh, periods of time, I was eating a huge amount of butter, a huge amount of coconut oil, things like the uh, the, the more concentrated fats like that. They, they were a big part of my diet. And to a lot of people I know who are still on a low-carb diet, they still eat them that way and they thrive on them a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, for, um, it helped me lose a lot of weight, helped control my satiety, and I was able to uh, you know, eat less... Um, um, you know, carbohydrates when I had a lot of fat, it helped me really get through that early phase of um, carbohydrate withdrawal by upping the fat. Now, uh, as time has gone by, I kind of don't like the idea of using superhuman quantities of butter. Uh, so I wouldn't, I used to go through like a stick of butter in a day. <laughs> I would have that easy, no problem. And I'd lose weight and, and it was really... And that also was because of your needing the um balancing because of your insulin problems wasn't it yeah yeah like the more like you the fat helps you sort of control your blood sugar and um if you're not having the carbohydrates then you get the energy from the fat that you eat and it also has a lot of nutrition in it like a grass-fed butter mm. uh, well, the, the butter has been fed grass the cow that produced butter <laughs> There's a lot of nutrition in that because um, that cow's been eating a natural diet and we're eating those that butter and we're yeah. gaining health benefit. Yeah. But at, at the same time, like I, I take a hunter-gatherer approach to these things, and I know that we never usually had fat concentrated in those quantities available to us all the time, and that our our food was more diverse than that. Like uh, if you eat that many uh, calories from butter, and I'm talking about calories just so that you know we understand that actually calories do have some form of regulation in our body. Our body tends to require a certain amount of, of calorie intake mm-hmm. uh, during the day, like when you're in uh, what's called homeostasis. We tend to eat the same amount of food day after day. Mm-hmm. And that what I mean by the same amount of food is similar amounts of calories if you sort of count them. doesn't mean the body will use them, all, but it sort of has this um, ability to uh, know how much food it needs for, for the day. And if you're in a balanced, healthy way of eating, then you tend to eat a similar amount of food every day. It, like you don't wake up one day and go like, today I don't want to eat at all. <laughs> and then tomorrow you say like, you know, I'm going to eat. Go to you yourself. Know, and then, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is, this is not usually how our appetites work. Yeah. But if you do eat this way, sometimes it's good for you. Like so, something like, you know, intermittent fasting is actually really good for you when mm. you force yourself to go into those patterns where... Uh, you mimic um, famine and feasting. Mm-hmm. That's not bad for you at all. Um, but um, 
generally speaking, you know, Joe, that yeah. like your breakfast is the same size every day, mm. isn't it? And then your lunch is similar as well. Yeah. Um, so if you're eating a lot of fat, then um, you might be eating less plant matter, for instance, than uh, than you should. And um, plants are extremely good for you. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very good for your gut bacteria because they feed them. Um, they allow for the, uh, for the healthy bacteria to proliferate. And uh, we need to have more plants at the at the base of our diet like for me plants and fat together at, at, at the base mm-hmm. and then on top of that you can have your animal protein so when people criticize paleo being meat heavy it's not really meat heavy yeah. um unless you make it meat heavy yeah it doesn't prescribe to you eat like it doesn't have a, a you know a food pyramid approach even though some have been you know have made food pyramids but because of uh, us being omnivores uh, human beings thrive on different types of macronutrients wherever they are. So this is the one advantage of us being able to um, eat whatever we want is we've, we've been able to colonize the world. Like we're from Antarctica to the mm. African deserts, you know, so we, we cover a huge and varied geography and we eat what's available to us. And if the food's coming from natural resources, well, natural sources, then we generally do okay. Yeah, it, it doesn't affect us. The problem comes is when, as an omnivore, you start eating all uh, industrialized food, which uh, then over time creates chronic inflammation in your body and causes a, a cascade of issues for you. Then mm. uh, this is where the, the problem really, really lies for us. Uh, so back to the fat bit. Uh, if if you're switching to a uh, a low carb diet. And you're finding that you want to uh, eat a lot, and uh, you're finding yourself you're going through carbohydrate withdrawals. By all means, like I would have fat, I would have it, and I did have the fat. I had it; it was really beneficial for me. But now in my diet, um, I don't like add that much butter into my food. I don't like sit down and I get two, three carrots. And I slice them and I just go hoe into a salted stick of pepisea butter. I don't do that anymore. I used to. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's sort of um, not necessary. It was something you needed at the time, but now you, uh, you don't. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you're trying to really be in ketosis, which is a therapeutic way of eating, um, when you eat less than, say, 20 grams of carbohydrates a day, um, then you might find that, yeah, you need to eat a lot of those really concentrated fats. Otherwise, like you're eating way too much food in terms of volume. You, you, you'd be like almost like grazing all day. Mm. So you eat the more concentrated forms of fat. And I know now, like, for instance, this week, I've, I've been doing gaps, as I told you, and I found myself in the first few days, I was, it's regulated now, by the way, Joe, but okay. in the first few days, I was, um, eating and i'm going oh my god i'm starving like two hours later i need to eat again and i was eating a lot of like um, i'd have my broth with eggs and things like that um and then if and i go oh that's so filling i feel like my belly is really full but then the liquid gets digested and and then you get really really hungry but but now it's better that's good because um i get this question a lot in the gut health group where mums are going crazy trying to keep up with their kids appetites at the start of gaps and they're just like i can't believe how much they're eating yeah i saw that today actually (laughs) the lady was just saying my kid like you know like 
she just wrote this three four paragraphs about what she ate that day and i'm like wow you know like and this is awesome it's really good food it's like and these are kids that didn't like eating their vegetables and now they're craving vegetable soups and like emma um who works with us she's started gaps with her kids and they're um they had just finished a lunch of lamb backstraps and vegetables and then they said mum we're hungry and she's like what you just fit they're like we want soup and one of them said I want broccoli soup and the other one said I want pumpkin soup and then they said we want both yeah. and so she's like oh my goodness <laughs> and it just never ends but it yeah. it does slow down as you start to um, as your body starts yeah. to balance out yeah I mean like you, your body gets nutrient hunger as well so yeah, that, that's hunger what it is, is not only caloric yeah so uh, we we crave certain foods because we need the nutrition that's in them. It's such a, such wisdom contained yeah. in the body. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like at first your body as it starts healing and it has room for repair and uh, growth, mm. it's gonna ask a lot more. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna want more of you. It's, like it's, it'll just be happy that you're providing it with such nutrition. Mm. You'll, you'll find that your appetite will be high, and then later on, you you start eating like a normal human being, <laughs> <laughs> and and that takes time, you know. Like and and it's all good. Like even yeah. like just the the heart eating a lot at first is good, and then um, finding yourself you're not that hungry anymore is is good, and uh, you know you just have to pay but attention it, to your body and and listen. And this yeah? is this is what I've got it. I really want to get across is that um, it's not like you're doing a certain thing forever. You're no. doing the same thing forever. Like um, the the criticism that I've gotten is, well, you can't do that meat and veggies gaps type of early gaps diet forever. I'm like, no, but it's never meant to be forever. No, it wasn't designed to be forever. It's a healing thing, and then you're adding foods in, and yeah. your appetite changes. Like you say, the way that you eat fats will change. Um, it all just it's something that you just keep changing as you need to well like just name one thing that's forever yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like it's it's just not not even conceivable yeah to have like in this is like i'm gonna do this forever like we've never done that about anything in our life yeah. like no one's ever forever done something i mean every time i look a year ago i think oh i'm eating different to how i did then yeah. and it just changes constantly yeah, there's no, it's that's why I always say to people, there's no black and white, right and wrong way to eat. It's something that you've got to work out from where you are right now. Yeah. Um, how you need to be eating. So here's a big takeaway for me: whole foods mm. has to be has to be whole foods. Yeah. So this is this is the that's forever. That's not going to change. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that that's a forever, but that's that's a bit nebulous as an idea. It, it doesn't. It's not really like. There's no strictness about it, yeah. Because if it's not whole foods, it's not really food. That's it. That, that's my view of it. Mm-hmm. So that means eat food. Yeah. That's why Michael <laughs> Pond says eat real food. You know, like yes. That's, and that's what he means. Like real food is whole food. That's what it is. Not made in a and, factory. Yeah, that's right. Uh, second, if you have uh, certain issues with weight, uh, let's say, then definitely look at your carbohydrate intake. Mm. Until you get things like your insulin under control and you Sorry lose, about. yeah, uh, that that's a that's a, been a big big help for me and I've given this advice to many friends 
it's helped them a lot. I mm-hmm. had a friend of mine who went on a low-carb diet. She had PCOS, mm-hmm. didn't have a baby. And then when she went on a low-carb paleo diet, she uh, was able to have her first child, and now she has two children. Yeah, I've heard has, that a lot too. Yeah. Um, so there, there's benefit beyond the weight loss. She, she was insulin resistant, but it didn't appear on her in the form of body fat. Mm. It appeared, it manifested in a different way. In, uh, oh, body yeah. So um, the, these things, um, like carbohydrates, um, especially when we've come from the antibiotic age, uh, a lot of us have issues with carbohydrates because we have the uh, overgrowth, overgrowth of uh, the bacteria that love eating sugar, mm-hmm. and they cause havoc in our body. And unless we get their population in control, then we still continue to have issues in our health. So um, that's why something like GAPS is so important because GAPS focuses on the on gut health and the bacteria. Mm. Um, and that's why sort of in, in a way it's a step further as a therapeutic approach than paleo is. Mm. Paleo is definitely more of a, a, a good way to eat uh, throughout your life. And you can move with such flexibility within the boundaries of paleo, mm-hmm. whereas GAPS is m- way more prescriptive in what mm-hmm. it's, you can eat at this stage, what you can't eat at that stage. And also there's a lot of exceptions. Like if, if you ha- have, for instance, if you had your gallbladder removed, then you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> should... Uh, the, the fats won't be the same fat. for you. Yeah. yeah. So um, the this is the second thing. The third thing is... Um, food allergies and intolerances. Um, a lot of people have, by default, if you have a gluten issue, you might have a dairy issue as well. That's uh, that's a common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and gluten uh, issues are way more abundant than we think there are. Yeah. A lot of people have issues with... Uh, and, and I call it gluten, but like I've, I don't know whether it's just the gluten itself. Like it could be other things in the wheat yeah. that are called it. Like for instance, Cindy Omera talks about mm-hmm. uh, wheat being a highly concentrated uh, source of uh, Roundup or glyphosate mm-hmm. pesticide that Monsanto produces, and that that alone, without the gluten issues, causes a lot of gut health issues. Yeah. Uh, so we say glutinous grains being problematic because um, you know there's something about like the the, the gluten, the yeah. glyphosate, the way that they interact and they uh, destroy gut health. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a problem. Yeah. So if you're if you feel sick, it's really worth trying to cut those out. I find personally I don't eat too many legumes. Like so mm, people same. people are and, and pe- people go get up in arms about that because you know we have uh, some of the uh, be- like you know, like the Greeks. Um, they age the longest on the planet and their diet is full of legumes. Yeah. So people say to us, you know, like, why do you tell people to not eat legumes? And I, I don't tell people to not eat legumes. Well, what I do say is they are a very uh, concentrated form of carbohydrates. Mm. And um, if you have issue with, issues with carbohydrates, you should definitely not be eating carbohydrates, yeah. which is legumes for a while. And they're also, they're also the long chain sugars aren't they so they're harder to digest for people with gut issues and then you add the the anti-nutrients that yeah. they have in them. Uh, so you know all these um these these legumes, mm. uh, like legumes will protect themselves with chemical compounds that cause gut irritation in in yeah. us 
They say if what if you ate four red kidney beans you die if they were raw. Is that yeah? That, I think it's something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, like it's madness. We're not meant to eat these things in their raw form, mm. but with the advent of fire and heat and cooking, we've uh, been able to uh, neutralize a lot of these chemical compounds that otherwise would kill us. Mm. And a lot of us, though, instead of killing us, they sort of cause chronic inflammation or things like that that are like not immediately noticeable yeah, and not immediately up. attributable to the mm. legume. But once you eliminate these things from your diet, you feel such marked improvement that you just go, it was the legumes or it was mm. the grains or it was the sugars or it was the food or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so um, that that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's good. Yeah, so uh, it's it's not rocket science. Mm. Um, I gave you like the the whole spiel, really. But uh, what we're saying is, eat real food. Um, If you have issues with carbs, don't eat the carbs. Uh, Avoid uh, having uh, anything that you've got allergies or intolerances to. And um, of course, eat seasonally as well. Because you don't want to eat food that's been flown in from other countries as a regular part of your diet or things that grow in greenhouses all the time, like eating uh, summer food in winter and winter food in summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is um, something that y- you should be aware of. It doesn't have a, as huge as an effect on us as eating refined food, but it makes sense to eat with the uh, cycle of the yeah. season. And that's it. Yeah. And also, um, like like you mentioned, um, if you do have gut issues and intolerances and allergies, um, you need to work on gut healing foods for as a temporary measure until your yeah. body can handle those foods. Um, and that's what we've really done with gaps and have seen such big differences with. And um, just a reminder too that this does take time. And like we said at the start, it's not um, go on a diet. And everything will be fine in a couple of months. It, it You'll see changes really quickly like Fuat did. Um, but it takes a long time to really heal your body from the damage that's been done quite often. And I know with me, um, I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts, where we've been pretty low with the starches for a long time, two and a half years um, on GAPS. And I started putting them in thinking, okay, we're good now. Everything's going well. And I put things in too quickly and I ended up, going backwards with my my blood sugar fluctuations and I had to um, pull back on the starches. So it it's something that you're always working on, always figuring out where you're at. And yeah. um, it does take time, so don't get impatient. <laughs> yeah, look, so like I, I look at myself and mm. I'm saying 98 kilos now. Yeah. And um, ideally I'd like to be around 90. You know, I'd like mm. to have a kind of lightness about me and being yeah. able to have um, take those eight kilos off mm-hmm. but I know for instance in times of stress and when I'm really working hard my requirements for say carbohydrates goes up yes which makes me put on more weight yeah so don't be over harsh on yourself and That's create right. this kind of ideal image uh, for who you who you should be and what you should look like mm. because that's just all in your head really yeah uh, work to um, to feeling good in your body but mm. But also balance it out with how much stress your food causes, your diet is mm. causing. 
Yeah. So you know, like it needs to be uh, something that you think about. Of course, it's not something that you you should uh, like go on autopilot completely because you you slip if you do that. Yeah. Unless you, you you just go on autopilot and you just eat the same foods all the time, which is also a good approach, especially in the early phases, so that you don't have to think too much about what am I going to have for breakfast today. Mm-hmm. That helped me a lot in the early uh, parts of you know recovery sort of focus on a smaller group of uh, foods and just keep it very have, simple yeah keep it really simple that's right um so uh, just don't try don't be like i need to lose 30 kilos and then you lose 20 and then those last 10 are sort of hurting you because yeah. that's what you expect in your head that's what you need to achieve um you've lost 20 kilos you know like that's awesome. an amazing feat so <laughs> Um, I look at myself and sometimes, you know, there's still a lot of um, self-judgment about body mm. image and things like that, which is just, yeah. Yeah, like there's a, a whole history of um, of habit around this. Mm. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing all that because, yeah, I don't think we'd ever gone into a lot of detail with your story. So it's really good to be able to share it now because I often tell people your story when you're not when you're not with me at a class I'm always telling them your story as well as mine because my story <laughs> my story is more um you know from the allergy sort of viewpoint food intolerances and being very underweight and how yes. um the diet that we do has really helped me but a lot of people can't um you know, they, they don't have the problem of being underweight. Most people don't have that problem. They're the other way. So I well, like to explain. You know, it's, it's also laughed at. Like people say, yeah. like, what, you, what you, you're underweight? Is that just, a problem? Like I mean, the like, doctors practically laughed at me. And they used to yeah. tell me, just eat chops and ice cream and you'll be fine. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so yes. to be able to show people that when you eat properly, um, that your weight balances out, whether you're under or over. It's very good to um, share that. Yeah, and, and you know what? Sometimes um, we talk, talk about eating to regain your health, so you can reintroduce some foods. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've been on this journey for a long time now, and I know I still have issues with carbohydrates. So yeah. I'll still eat a small amount of sweet potatoes and things like that when I'm eating more clean. But the minute my carbohydrates start going up, mm. then um, I start you know, losing mental focus, yes. weight goes up. Um, I partition a lot more water in my body, and that's an indication that there's inflammation. Um, so, like, I, I don't know, like, how uh, how long it will be for me before I can eat normally. I don't know whether it, it there yeah. is such a thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe you'll always have to be very careful, which yeah. I find with but, Isaac. I have to be so careful with him. Yeah. Or his anxiety think, goes up. Yes, you know, for me, unlike Isaac, will like he's young and he'll mm. uh, heal better yeah but for me like i'm not in a place where i'm too restricted in what i eat yeah. you know like I, st- I still have a huge amount of amazing foods that yeah. i can eat and i, I think isaac does too but yeah. as a young kid like he wants his chips and ice cream so, <laughs> yeah yeah um but that's that's i think where you you just have to go and and look at it yourself you have to say um i'm gonna go on decide for these reasons whether it's gut health or losing weight or something like that and the, the diets are almost identical for both mm-hmm. um and then you start reintroducing the foods you see how you feel and you're vigilant yeah and if it's, you keep uh, an eye on it, it all the time yeah, yeah keep an eye don't slip back 
it's very mm. easy to slip back. It's easy to wake up four four weeks later and go, oh my god, like I've been eating chocolate every day for <laughs> past four weeks, and I've been you know having white rice with everything and things like that. And suddenly and, I feel dreadful. Yeah, and like the world is full of like uh, beautiful promises. You know, like you know we talk about say resistant starch and uh, white rice, and they say, oh, you know, we found that if you cook rice and you cool it down. Um, the next day you eat it, it's got way more resistant starch, which is beneficial for your gut bacteria. And if you eat it, it's way better for you than uh, normal rice. And you go, wow, I'm going to give that a try. And then you end up eating so much rice Every over day. Yeah. It's, it's like, dude, like, I sh- you know, it's, it's not actually good for me. And even though it might be a little bit better for the gut bacteria than the normal white rice, and it's lower in the glycemic index, is I'm still eating starches that I shouldn't be eating in that quantity. And it's just my particular body. Like, if I listen to it well enough, I'll know that this is not good for it. Yeah. And um, time and time again, it's been proven to me that my best diet is a whole foods diet with low starch vegetables uh, and a lot of uh, natural fats from things like uh, fatty meats or mm-hmm. coconut milk. And that's that's what I yeah. Lots of I always broth. come back to that. I always just feel so much better when I come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yep, yeah, it's something we all have to work out. Well, thank you. That was good. If yeah. anyone has any questions before, you could go to his Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Joe, um, I haven't mentioned this to the listeners, mm-hmm. but. Um, I'm starting a uh, health coaching business, yeah. so I'm uh, helping people with, um, you know, really understanding what kind of way of eating um, is best for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to work with them on um, the issues that they have. Like if someone wants to do the paleo diet and they don't know how to do it, then I can uh, help them and Guide advise them all this stuff, but also talk to them about things like uh, sleep and light exposure and sun exposure and uh, all, so, all sorts of things. Around, yeah, all these things like how, how to best optimize your life mm-hmm. using the time that you have available to be able to gain the benefits that you need for yourself. Uh, and I can and I can vouch for Fuad that he's an awesome health coach because whenever I need help I just ring him. <laughs> yeah. no, and I was, I'm always putting people onto you, aren't I? Yeah, I, I love Including it. Including my dad. Yeah, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to sort of, you yeah, know, good. there's a few people, like you, you remember that last time in Melbourne we um, came across one of your friends. Yes. and. I had a very quick conversation with Five her. minutes. Yeah. And honestly. he just honestly, let me tell a bit because otherwise it sounded like you're blowing your trumpet. No, <laughs> it was amazing. I was, to, I was just trying no, to say it how, was, how inspirational it was for me, but go no, on. No, it was inspirational for her. And she, in five minutes, he pinpointed the problem that she was having and helped her to turn it around. And she is full blast going the right direction now and hasn't looked back. And it was just from those five minutes of someone really understanding what the problem, what the issues were and helping her to get um, her mind, you know, instead of the self-blame, instead of saying I've got no self-control and that's why I'm in this situation, he said, no, you've been lied to. And he explained to her which, you know, the, the problems were and just said, how about you try this? 
and she just took off and it's been amazing to watch her progress but hasn't it really like you just I'm, I'm need... just so proud oh. and this is like she's not even a client of mine like no, she, she just she just yeah. took that five minutes and ran with yeah. what you told her <laughs> and she's yeah. going great and I think sometimes you just need someone to really um to open your eyes to what to do to what the first steps are and then you're okay yeah, you, know, you can, and then or or someone to bounce things off when you feel really stuck. So yeah, it's. Good. I think you know a lot. A lot of these things, like a lot of people will talk about things like accountability and mm. having someone to answer to and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I really, I really think it, there's um, a better way to go around it. Mm. I think if you talk to people in a way that you know you and every person I've spoken to, I've had to talk to differently. Yeah, because different. But I think everyone, once you deliver the message them, to them correctly and it resonates within them, and that's wh- that's the moment where the moment where change begins. It's not when they go and like buy their first meal or cook their first meal. Mm. It's that moment of uh, resonance that happens within the person where they go, yeah, like I actually believe this, yeah, and I believe I can I can do it. Well, and you're empowering them, really, aren't you? You're yeah, saying, look, here's the tools you need. Go do it. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah. This, this is, um, it's a privilege because, um, like, how can you go wrong telling people to eat whole foods, um, to look after their gut health, to um, get fresh air, things like that. Mm. But like, you, have to, you have to explain to them how it falls in line with their lifestyle and help them make those little changes bit by bit. And, yeah, um, so, so that they're not overwhelmed. And yeah. just to have someone to talk to about all that is, it just is, the biggest part of the battle, I think. Yeah, and and this is to me. I love talking about this stuff. Mm. And, um, so if you guys are interested, send me an email on me at fuadkasab.com. I actually do consultations on Skype. Uh, you don't have to see me in person. If you're in Sydney, we can definitely meet up and uh, have a face to face. But if you're outside of Sydney and you're interested in this, I'd love to talk to you more about it. And uh, just send me an email. So it's me at Fouad Kassab.com, M-E at F-O-U-A-D-K-A-S-S-A-B.com. That's awesome. Okay. Thanks, guys, and thank you so much, Fouad. And we will be back in a fortnight with another interview. But if you want to come to our classes, don't forget we have got one on the 24th in Sydney too, sorry, um, and we'll put the links in the show notes, but you can also go onto my Facebook page, Quirky Cooking, and you'll see in the events section any classes that we've got coming up. Um, we do have a lot of requests for classes around the place, and um, we're getting others in as soon as we can, but at the moment our focus is mostly on getting the book finished. Yeah, it's not it's not far now. No, not far now. We've got a, a tiny bit of work left to do, and then um, the we'll be off to the print- printers. <laughs> Yay! So more more classes coming up once we're a bit more yeah. free yeah so keep an eye on um the quirky cooking newsletters and on our facebook pages um which facebook page do you prefer to post things on what you've got a few I, I post on for kasab health so okay. facebook.com slash for kasab health okay and um, you'll see some uh, videos of the last one i think i did was a uh, me picking mulberries yeah. down <laughs> He's yeah, got, got some good live videos on there. Um, and then also in the chat group, you can connect with us in there, Quirky Cooking chat group. We're both in there as well. Yeah. So thanks. Look forward to seeing you guys and chatting to you. Yeah. 
and um, hopefully we'll see some of you at the cooking classes. And I've also got classes in Canberra that Fuad will be at um, on the 25th and 26th with Thermomix. So you can also find those um, if you go to Moshtix, M-O-S-H-T-I-X, and um, search Quirky Cooking, you'll find those on there. All right. We'll see some of you next week. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Fuad, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.